Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Pragmatic Marketing, and your host. Today, we're joined by our very own Stacey Weber, longtime Pragmatic Marketing instructor and practitioner. Hello, Stacey, and thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Rebecca. Now, Stacey, one of the things we hear a lot from our attendees is that they love the training and they've learned a ton, but sometimes they're not quite sure where to start, what to do first. Um, when I attended the training back in 2005, I was building up a product management group uh, within a software company I worked for then. And I remember that exact feeling a little bit too. I was filled with excitement, but also a little overwhelmed. Yeah, I, I remember that too after my first training. My first training was was way back in 99 and I remember the same feeling of being really excited but not really sure how to proceed, right? Exactly. And that's why we're here today because it doesn't have to be scary and they're not alone. Uh, and in fact, you've got three things, just three things for them to start and focus on. And you're going to break down each one of them, right? So that they can jumpstart their market-driven journey uh, and start having an immediate impact. Yeah, yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, the thing is that we we take we take our company name seriously. Um, we are pragmatic marketing. And so one of the things we pride ourselves on is giving these practical tools so that as you come out of class, you have a, a support network to get you started and keep you going. Um, but I think sometimes it, there's so much to absorb during class that these things slip our minds. Um, uh, you know, leaving class, I think the, the first thing to think about is um, that you are now an alumni. Um, you know, you maybe you've been called an alumni of other institutions at some point, but here at Pragmatic, this means that you've joined a pretty large crowd of people. Um, you, once you become an alumni of Pragmatic Marketing, which you do by coming through any of our courses, you are an alumni forever. Um, one of the benefits that you get there is that you can now join our Alumni Resource Center. So the the Alumni Resource Center is an area that you get a whole bunch of resources and files that you can use to start applying some of the things that you that you learned in class, right? Um, now, the the you do have to sign up for that Alumni Resource Center because if you haven't been to class, you can't get access. So you you go to the website uh, when you go to pragmaticmarketing.com. Um, on the top right-hand side of that web page, there's going to be a link for the Alumni Resource Center. Go in, fill in your information about, about yourself. Our, our office staff will verify that you're an alumni, and then you'll be granted access to that area. That's right. And uh, it usually takes like 24 to 48 hours for us to get access clarified here. Uh, but then you're in, and you get access to all the goodies. Exactly. Now, you know, and so I think when you, when you first get in there, um, there is a, um, on the home page, you're going to see the interactive framework. And so it's the pragmatic framework like you become familiar with through the classes, but now you can click on those boxes. So anytime that you get to a subject that you're trying something new, go in there, click on that box in the framework and see what comes up. You'll, you'll have some tools, some templates. Um, sometimes there's a, a gathering of articles about how to do certain things in that area. It's just a collection of resources to use to get better at that specific activity. So poke around in there a bit, get familiar with the navigation. Um, there is a, you can also ask the expert a question in this area. So you can submit a question into any of our instructors and then we can, we'll uh, get an answer back to you. 
let's see here. Also, when you come, when you were in class and you took a certification exam, you um, you achieved this pragmatic marketing certification, which you can now add into your email um, signature, and you can put it up on your LinkedIn page. Within the Alumni Resource Center, there's an area where we'll help you do that really easily, so you can just click and get it added into your LinkedIn account. Also on the, the Alumni Resource Center page, in addition to being able to navigate into each individual box of the framework, we on the homepage, it, it highlights the featured box of the month, right? So right there on that front page, you're going to see an extended list of blogs, articles, tools, uh, the upcoming webinars that are in that area that they can access. And really, so if you want to focus on one box and really dig it in in that one that month, that will do that on the homepage of the Alumni Resource Center as well. Yes. Yeah. Great point. Thank you. You know, and, and so go out there, get get familiar with it. You you really can can find um, there's a lot more templates out there than just what you looked at in class. So you just poke around on there. Also, when we update templates, being an alumni, you'll have access to those updated templates as well. Now, when you get into the, the Alumni um, uh, Resource Center, on that home page, you're going to see the clickable framework, but then scroll down to the bottom of that page. And there's a set of some some general resources that become helpful to you. Um, like there's a, a, a PowerPoint slide that has the framework in it that can be helpful if you're trying to explain this to somebody else. Um, but also, there's a spreadsheet there, the gap analysis spreadsheet. And, and that's really the, the, the second thing that you should think about um, having now been through the class is to, to do this gap analysis. Um, and the tool that you use is right there on the, the Alumni Resource Center. I would just right-click that, download it to your, your desktop so that you have access to it. If you've been through our classes, you've been through foundations, you've, you've seen the, the uh, materials about the gap analysis. But I'll tell you, this tool, it's a, it's a pretty simple tool. And when you first glance at it, you're like, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. However, the gap analysis is extremely powerful. Um, the, the reason, so, the, so let me back up a minute. You know, the, the general idea here is, remember, is that we're going to look at each of the activities in the framework. First of all, we're going to think about who owns that activity right now in our organization. Does anybody own it? Do multiple people think they own it? And then clarify that. Who owns it now? Who should own it going forward? The second part of that gap analysis then says, how important is any activity within the framework and how well are we executing on it? And so what this does is, it, depending on where we focus and how we approach this, it allows us to clarify roles and titles, and then also allows us to figure out what our next couple of action items are. Those are just both so key, right? Really everybody understanding the roles and responsibility, who's going to do what, because if that's not clear, there's no, there's no way for success, right? Um, and then prioritizing, like you said, which can be overwhelming. Let's figure out what the most important, most critical uh, thing we can focus on. And all in one tool is, is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and you, I mean, over time, you use that for a lot of different things. Um, I actually, I, I was just thinking about at one point in my career, my company had been acquired and the company, the, the business unit that we were merging with had a product marketing title. We had never had a product marketing title before. We had product managers who worked directly with marketing communications people. You know, in, in reality, we had a few people there who were really acting more strategically like product marketing managers, but we had never really officially had that title. Well, we, we got all the people together in a room, pulled out the gap analysis, and we spent a half a day just talking about roles and responsibilities, not so much about how well we were executing, but really focusing on 
what are we going to expect from product marketing versus product management and Marcom and so forth? Yeah, it um, can be a really good unifying activity. However, part of the power of it is that if you don't have a team around you, you can pull that gap analysis out and do it yourself, right? You can do this from the point of view of which activities do I know that I own? How important are they for the success of my career and the success of my product? And how well am I executing on those? And by doing even a quick gap analysis, even if you just spent an hour doing this from your own point of view, you're going to have a much better idea of where to focus your energy next. Because what will happen is you'll see these areas where there's an activity that is a really high in importance, but you're not executing on it very well. So maybe the next time you go into a performance review with your boss, you say, hey, you know, in the next year, I think I'm going to get some specific training in this particular area. And so that gap analysis can drive your, your personal activities, but it can help you focus your goals for the future as well. Excellent. All right. Now, so is this the kind of thing you just do that gap analysis once and you're done? Oh, no. Nope. I, you know, this is a, it's an exercise. It's intentionally simple, you know, and the, and frankly, the tool makes this pretty easy. Once you put all this in, it, we, we build you a heat map automatically within the, the spreadsheet. So doing the activity is fairly straightforward, but the power of it is to do it on a regular basis. You know, this is really the gap analysis is our tool of continuous improvement. And also all too often, product management and product marketing type people, we'll call them the product team, you know, all too often the product team ends up getting held uh, responsible or getting measured on things that don't really help them advance their career and advance their product. You know, I remember getting incented based on things like, you know, revenue of the company overall. Well, that's, you know, it's something I can impact, but really indirectly um, with that, with the gap analysis, you can figure out directly how you can impact change and, and where to spend um, where to spend time next. So the idea is this is really a wash, rinse, repeat kind of process that you go in, do the gap analysis based on what you know and where you're at right now. If you have to do it as an individual, do that. If you can do it with a couple of peers, great. Maybe you can get your whole team involved. That's awesome. But whatever level you can, do it. Do it once. Get your top three action items in front of you. And then put an appointment on your calendar for six months in the beginning, probably six months in the future, maybe a year, probably six months in the future is a little bit uh, of, a, of a better recommendation though. Go work down those action items. Six months from now, get back together or maybe you've got a bigger group by then. Do the gap analysis again, make adjustments as necessary and go work down those action items. You know, before I came to Pragmatic, when I was managing uh, teams of product management people, we used the gap analysis um, primarily at two levels. So, and we had a different cadence at each level. For the team as a whole, we would do at one meeting where we would do an annual offsite, a really a deep dive into how we were going to make our team better and, and provide uh, a higher impact on our organization. Part of that annual offsite was doing this at the team level. And so we would say in general for our entire team, how important are these things? Who owns what? How well are we executing? And we would use that gap analysis to drive team level projects. So if there was if there was a systemic area in some a systemic problem in some area, I would assign somebody to say, you know, over the next six months, go work across the team and try to clarify this area. But we also use that gap analysis as the beginning of all of our performance reviews as well. 
And so if you were if you were working for me, you would basically start out by circling the areas on the framework that you own. And I, I would make sure you had a clear, nice, clear job description there. You'd circle those areas. And then you would, you would uh, give me two things. First of all, I wanted to have an idea of how, imp how important that activity is um, for the success of your current situation, right? Depending on what you're working on, what kind of markets you're studying, what's most important right now. And then I would want to see your self-assessment of how, um, I, I liked to ask the question, I would ask how skilled, confident, and passionate do you feel about this activity? And then together we, we'd sit down, right? And it, because, you know, Rebecca, you know, I mean, either, either you're going to approach your team with an attitude of building on strengths or trying to force people to, clo to, to uh, get past their weaknesses, right? And, um, and having that information together, we could sit down and say, okay, what, what adjustments can we make in your goals or your, job to, or your job so that you can get better at those areas where you need to be able to do them? Maybe you feel passionate about it, but you don't feel a lot of confidence in that area. Well, that seems like an area we should probably set some personal goals for. I think the passion area, the passion question of that portion is, is huge, right? Because it, it doesn't always match your skill set, but it kind of matches your, um, the amount of effort you'll put in, in some ways, right? That's where you're going to just naturally focus. It's where you're going to get excited about. It's where you're going to bring all that extra energy in it. And it's, I think it's a really good extra dimension when you're talking with your employees about figuring out where to prioritize. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think it also happens sometimes that, that as a team member, you become known for some skill that you really are good at, but you don't enjoy the mm. work. Yeah. I, can't, I came out of quality assurance. So I, I tested software in the beginning and then I made a transition into product management. And, and I came in with a certain reputation of being good about, about process, being good about tracking detailed information. And sometimes that, you know, I wish people didn't know that I was good at those things. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> All right, so we've gone in and signed up for the Alumni Resource Center. We've downloaded the gap analysis sheet from there. We've done that exercise, hopefully with the group, but there's no excuse because we can do it ourselves and make it our passion. We've scheduled our next one to do again in six months. Now what? What should we do? What's the third thing we should do, Stacey? So this is the third thing, and I won't necessarily say this is the third thing in terms of order. It's the third, third thing on our list, but you could actually – you know, you have to sign up for the Alumni Resource Center before you do the gap analysis. But the other thing you really want to focus on is getting your first market visit under your belt. And you could do that before or after you sign up for the Alumni Resource Center. I have some students who actually do their first market visit before they even get on the plane to go home after training. You know, I mean, the, the fact is that you sit in class and you hear about how these market visits can change your perspective. They can change your product. They can change your company. Um, but until you actually start doing them, you there's no way that you can really internalize the, the great amount of impact that they make on your life. And so one of the first things we want to do is get that first one under our belt. You know, some sometimes, uh, especially I remember this being me actually in the very beginning, uh, I was a little bit nervous about just like a, approaching people and trying to get in and watch them, right? 
And uh, sometimes as instructors, we make jokes about how you're watching them, but you don't want to get creepy. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> you know, but think of those the first couple times you did this, right? Mm-hmm. You have that, that you have that feeling like, um, you know, you're coming in, and and I think a lot of us are used to coming in sh- in order to share wisdom or share information that that client wanted, mm-hmm. and now we're trying to come in and do the opposite of that. And so that it, there's a little bit of discomfort for some people there. And the, the best way to get past that is to, to just jump in, do the first one. Now, it, how to find these people and how to figure out how to do that first one is completely dependent on who you're studying in the market. Mm. And so we, we've got to figure out kind of, are we going to go visit users? Are we going to go visit buyers? Um, what kind of market segment are we interested in? But get really clear about the types of people that you want to observe and then start thinking about where can I find these people, right? Do they go to conferences that I could go to? Uh, do, they, do they post on blogs where I could, I could meet them that way? Um, do we have common relationships somewhere that I could take advantage of? But really it's all about thinking about who am I studying and where can I find them? Now, when you start, you know, it's um, sometimes it's easier to find someone who's already a customer. Right? They know you, they love you, they call you up and they're like, hey, what's going on? Can I talk to you? Uh, and so sometimes in terms of finding somebody, it's easier to find a customer. But I think that sometimes it's easier in terms of, you know, any baggage with the product or any baggage with your organization sometimes it's easier to find a potential first because that that potential hasn't already bought our product. Your salespeople don't care much about that potential because they're not even a lead in the system yet. They're just somebody in the market who looks like your buyer or looks like your user. They're a representative of that segment you're trying to reach. And I think sometimes there's a there's a, a lower risk. It's easier to start your your interview there. Kind of depends on the situation that you're in. Excellent. So once you've pinned these people down, <laughs> I know we talk a lot about the types of questions in the course, but what are some of your personal favorite questions when you're doing market visits? Yeah, you know, the it's hard because, again, the, the specific questions that are going to work best for you depend, again, on the market segment you're, you're studying and who your buyers are and who your users are. I, I think that the, the most important thing is – to, to really to start preparing for that interview before you get into the room with them. First of all, we got to spend some time preparing. But the preparation work that you want to focus on is really all about curiosity. If I had to say you know, one question that I like more than anything else is why? Why are you doing that? What makes you do it that way? You know, how did it end up? How did you end up in this in this kind of an environment? Um, it's but it's it's all about curiosity. You have, to, you have to get really, really curious about that cluster or that problem set that you're focused on. And, and really, I would do prep work by myself where I was thinking, what are the things that I don't know? You know, there's things that you just take for granted. And there were some things, I, I started out in the postal industry, and um, the postal industry has a lot, a lot of regulations. And so there were a lot of times when I, the specific situation I was studying, I didn't know off the top of my head, all the regulations that were involved. 
right? And there were some things that you just started to accept as, you know, that's the way it is. Well, start questioning that. Start asking people, why do they do it that way? Um, how's that working for them? When you, when you get in front of the potentials in particular, the thing that you're watching for, the, the question that drives your curiosity is, why is this person not buying your kind of product? And, and you, can, uh, you can imagine that. I mean, there's, there's a, a handful of, of uh, reasons why they might not be buying, but it, that's really the question that you're trying to get is, why are people not buying? If they're in the, 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 the market segment that we're focused on, then they should want to buy our product. And if they haven't bought ours and they haven't bought the competitor's product, what are they doing instead? And knowing the answer to that question then drives the answer. Right? Like, um, you know, just for instance, um, maybe, maybe I go out there and I find out that it's, it's fairly easy to get people to understand why something is a problem. You know, they're experiencing it. They're already feeling pain. But it's a fairly new product category, and they didn't even know that a solution existed. Imagine the beauty of figuring that out ahead of time, right? If I go out and I, and I study my potentials and I find out that, geez, you know, all I have to really do is let them know I have a product and then they'll want it. Well, I can go back and bring product marketing into the fold and get them some budget and drive some, some marketing and see some increases in revenue without doing any of that really expensive product development work. Yeah, and it's a good point too, because I think when you, um, when it's that curiosity that you're displaying within a market visit itself, it's when the, the customer really gets engaged. They, they feel your genuine curiosity and they respond to that. If you come with interview questions, you know, I, um, they're not going to open up to that same level. I find often my best market visits feel like they were just like a random chit chat at a coffee shop. But when I cycle that back, I really got a ton of information because I, I followed the points they brought. I showed genuine curiosity. I asked the, the why and follow-up questions, or I, I channeled my, my inner four-year-old, right? And said, why, why, why? <laughs> um, but they really respond to that. And then I get more detailed information from them as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would do, um, you know, I'll, I will write up a list of things that I'm curious about. And usually I'll write those up in the form of a question. You know, why does everybody do it this way? Those kinds of questions. And, um, and I'll write those up as my prep work. But once you walk into the interview, you're right. It's really, these things don't look like an interview where you're going through a list of questions. It looks like a random discussion. If it's, if it's going properly, it, it sounds like just a conversation between somebody who knows a lot and that's the person in the market, not the product team, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> it's a, a conversation be some, between somebody who knows a lot and somebody who's really curious and wants to learn more. Definitely. And if you keep yourself in that curiosity role, you're, you will continue to learn. So I have to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open my kimono and tell my weakness. I, I love market visits. I, every single time I do a market visit, I think, ah, I need to do even more of these, right? They're very, um, they bring out my enthusiasm. They get me excited. They get me pumped for stuff. And then I am not the best about writing it up and sharing it. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I get there, but it, it, I, I, I overthink it. Right. Or something. So talk to me about that. What are we trying to accomplish with the write up? How can we yeah, save people from my faults? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, I think what happens is that as you're coming out of that interview, not only do you have a whole bunch of information you just learned, 
But because you have all this new data, your brain is firing into ideas and analysis and we could do this and we could do that. And and that's great. It shows that you, you know, you got some good information, but it's not really what you need to write up. Right? That the thing that you need to focus most on getting down on paper is what you heard. Because what we're really trying to do here is to say, we're not going to make a decision based on this one interview. We need to do a sampling of the market segment so we can find, you know, the things that are most important to focus on. And so I think the, the biggest danger is that if you start trying to do the write-up of the facts and your analysis, that first of all, your write-up gets really long and it's hard to complete it. Mm. And I think part of the reason it gets so long is because you don't really have enough data to make a succinct statement. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, the longer it is, the the less likely someone else is to read it, right? So your ability to share yes. that information, it, it just gets it gets smaller and smaller. Exactly. I actually, um, in, in per- particular, the um, we would actually do two, uh, we teach the call report in class, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the ways I handled that psychologically for myself is that I, I had an idea book and it was a document where I would put ideas in, except nobody got to see that except me. Oh. Because I like, I always felt like I had these ideas in my head and I didn't want to lose them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go into another market visit and that might spark a different idea. And having those ideas is good, but the problem is that if you put them in with the market facts, if you put them in that call report, you might actually corrupt somebody else's analysis of the data, right? Because now when you read my call report, you read my analysis, and it's quite possible that you're just going to see it the same way that I did. Mm. What I'm really trying to do is to get multiple people to look at that data so we can say, what is really happening here, you know? If we can get multiple eyes on the data, we're probably going to be able to read between the lines much better. I think that's a great idea, too. So obviously on the marketing side, I, we focus our market visits a lot on the buyers. And so some of the the details, right, like it's not a creative writing assignment, but it's the details, the language they use is really important for us because it, it triggers yes. um, not only the language that we'll use, but there's almost... Uh, for all of us on our on our team here, at least, it really helps us picture them and kind of brings that persona to life for us that allows us to to start to to build out that profile. But mm-hmm. that means that we almost like like we take a ton of notes and lots of quotes and that kind of thing is really interesting for us and and we want to be able to read those and sort of reimmerse ourselves in there. But the idea of having that document that's helpful for us internally and then another call report type item that just says here's the main points that could be easily digested by others and then also probably more easily uh, combined with other reports to sort of quantify the the, the information in there is, is probably a great way of getting both of those things. Right, right. And I want to be really clear, um, Rebecca, in that all of those quotes and getting their exact phrasing down, that's part of the market facts. That's not your opinion. Mm, right. Right. We want that in the call report. I think the part where you where it gets where it gets mushy for people is that they get to the bottom and say, you know, and here's how we could respond to these things. Mm. Or here's you know? how we should change this and that. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, because those having those direct quotes, I mean, it, you know, um what when I would when I would do the call report, I would come, I come out of an interview, do the call report from just basically running through the interview from the beginning to the end. What I'm trying to do there is get my notes onto into a document so that because I'm not going to be able to read them a day from now. 
Mm. Right. I, my notes are a mess. <laughs> I've drawn pictures like I, I have to I've used my own shorthand. And the really the, the pure purpose of that call report is to make sure that you don't forget what you were saying in those notes and just to get it down on paper as yeah. fast as possible. And then once I go through that the first time, write it beginning to end and then I read it. And usually what you find is that you've maybe you've covered five problem areas in that interview. And maybe that one problem area came up 10 different times, right? Like that, the, you know, the big one mm -hmm. that's really bugging them and they keep coming back to it. Well, you know, if we could just get that one thing solved. Um, and so once I write that whole call report, report up in uh, generally in Word, then I'll take the highlighting tool in Word and just highlight one phrase that represents each of those problems in the report. And you can do this and you can actually, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan. I'll do my data analysis right in Word. Like every time I hear a, every time I hear a problem that has to do with, um, you know, the, the data entry person made an error the first time the client called in. Everything that has to do with that, I'm going to use pink. And every time it came up during any of my interviews, I end up coloring it pink. And, and what that does then is when somebody else opens up that report, even though it might be really long because you have a great depth of data and you have good stories and quotes, the reader can very quickly see those five big clustered problem areas. That's a great idea. And then you can also easily pull out again when you're doing sort of quantifying across multiple ones. You can get right to that, but you haven't lost sort of the, the nuance that really allows you to uh, bring it back to life. And also, you know, sometimes if you just sum it up, then you lose kind of the credibility of it, right? Because you don't hear the customer voice anymore. And if you sum it up, sometimes you've just translated it into your own internal speak and words, and then you've already sort of brought in some solutioning to it, if you know what I mean. If I describe right. your problems in terms of my solution, then I've already adjusted what you've said. Yes, exactly. You know, now the other, the other way that some companies approach this is that when you walk out of that interview, instead of sitting down and trying to put that document together immediately, that you could use a transcription service where you, you, know, you could just look through your notes, talk through it, and then have a transcription service actually do that first draft of the full write-up. That would save time too. And I know, uh, I know some people record the interviews, uh, you know, getting the approval, of course, of the person you're interviewing with, but that can be another way, and then that could be transcribed along with your notes. Right, right. Well, Rebecca, I'm curious, when, with the recording, have you tried recording interviews before? So when I, so I'm a, I'm a huge note taker. Uh, it helps me stay engaged. It helps me do all kinds of things. So I tend not to personally. Um, I've been on a couple, we had actually had those, you know, the LifeScribe pens where you can take notes and it records and then it syncs those up for you, which is pretty fancy. Um, and so someone else on my team had used that and really enjoyed it. Now, when I do phone interviews, I will have a tendency to say, can I record this and I'll use it there. But in-person ones, I haven't done it as much. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm at too. I think the, you know, if you're thinking that you can record the conversation and in some market segments, that's perfectly acceptable. You know, right. I mean, what you have to ask yourself is, is there anything that's like sensitive that that persona is not going to talk about if they're getting recorded? And for some of us, we're in market segments where like they wouldn't say anything if they were getting recorded. Yes. <laughs> right. And in other companies, that market segment is more of a consumer environment where it's fairly easy to get people to talk and tell you what they think, you know. But I mean, I've been in situations where 
you've got you're working with people in the IT department and you're working with people business users in the marketing department and they don't like each other and and I actually wanted to hear whatever kind of dirt they wanted to air about each other so I could help they're never going to do that if they're if they're being recorded and and for some people in some cultures it's it would be very off-putting and for some it's you know bring it on doesn't bother me at all yeah yeah exactly I think the the way to tell you know if you're ever asking yourself if it'll work pick two two targets that look pretty similar you know they're from same kind of companies, same kind of titles, maybe even the same geography. Go do one interview with a recorder on and do one interview without. And just see, just do a little sample and see if there, if you get different results. That's a great idea. Test it out, right? See what the market yeah, exactly. says. Exactly. But I, you know, I mean, this, this, the, the getting back to what to do first is really be opportunistic and figure out where you can get that market, first market visit in. When you're done with it, write it up, get get that information cataloged somewhere so that it goes from just a story in your head into a piece of market evidence that you can use to drive decisions. As a manager, the I'll t I will tell you that the best way to lose any sort of support for market visits is to go do the market visits and then never write them up. Mm. Right? I mean, the whole impact on your organization comes from the write-up, not from the visit. Uh, we did, I always did an exchange with my teams. I was more than happy to, to sign their expense reports for these trips after they had posted their call reports. <laughs> okay? Simple exchange. So, I mean, be disciplined about, about getting that write-up done and making sure that it's, it's uh, located somewhere that the organization can see it. Because it's kind of a it's kind of a mushy accomplishment in the beginning to say, oh, I went and did a market visit. You're not going to get really powerful facts until you get through maybe five, at least a handful of these, right? Mm -hmm. And so, in order to maintain your credibility and to show that you're doing the right thing, you just you must write it up and get that information, you know, posted somewhere, so that your team at least can see how you're spending your time. Great advice, Stacy. Thank you. All right. We've had a lot of good information today. So to recap, the first three things any alumni should do after taking a pragmatic marketing course is one, sign up for the Alumni Resource Center and start taking advantage of all the great tools available there. Two, complete a gap analysis, taking stock of which areas of the framework are the most important, how well you're doing, and then prioritize where to focus and get out and do your first market, right? Your first market visit. All right. Simple as one, two, three. Exactly. All right. Anything else you want to share with our audience today, Stacey? Um, no, I, I think we've given them enough of an action item list for now, Rebecca. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Stacey. It was a pleasure to have you, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you much. And thank you. Have you. a great day. You too. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to check back next week for our next edition of Pragmatic Live.